everyone, and welcome to another Scots We Hate podcast. And today I'm joined by Angela Hughes and Paul Doherty. Hello, both. Hello there. Hi. And we're here to talk about Angela's memoir, My Heart's Content. And I'm going to ask you both how you would describe it, starting with Angela. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think um, initially I would, if you'd asked me this before I started, my intention was that it was going to be the, about the experience of my transplant. So from when I w- was first uh, brought into hospital, it all happened very quickly. The time I spent in hospital and until I, just for that period, basically, until I had the transplant. So it was basically going to be a journey to transplant, as it says as the, on the subtitle. What it became is that, and probably quite noticeably, uh, um, it sounds a bit corny, but a love story in that it was a lot to do with our relationship and how we coped with that, but also the theme of kind of a community of, of people who would help you heal and who support you throughout it. And laterally, from um, earlier readers, they, they've kind of described it as a, a love letter to to not just to Paul, but to like the NHS or to um, to uh, um, my family and friends and things. And I mm. think probably it's a combination of all of those things. Yeah. Not at all succinct, definitely not an <laughs> elevator pitch, but you know what it's like. That's fine. That's what these podcasts are about. They allow you the full <laughs> bit of time to do it. And yourself, Paul, how if you, if, when people ask you about Angela's book, how do you describe it? Oh, well, there's quite a lot in there, I suppose. A lot of it is, is in uh, sort of very fine detail about, you know, what it means to be an, part of the family, what it means to need other people around you, all, all those sort of things. But I, I actually uh, like to talk about the, the wider theory, with the wider uh, things that are in there, like just the fact that we rely on each other so much. You know, Angela's life relied on someone else making the decision that they would want to help someone, you know, at some point in the future and, and to sign up to a donor register and their family also were supportive of that. And so it, it just makes you realise that you're connected to everybody, even people you'll never meet and how important that connection is. I mean, to say that um, you go through the whole, as a reader as well as someone who wrote it, the whole range of emotions, you know, I absolutely do. And things that perhaps you don't think about like you know the, the guilt of um ha- involving other people and all mm. all sorts of things it, there's a really we'll talk about the the feelings later on but i want to talk about the structure of the book itself because it's really interesting it's kind of set because it covers um 16 days uh, i think yep. from the december to the 24th but it's also quite fluid in places because you have kind of not flashback but memory of your mm-hmm. childhood. You have other people as letters from Paul and from your family and from friends as well, which came in. So did you know that you were going to have such an inventive structure early on or did that develop as you wrote it? That definitely developed as I wrote it. In fact, I would say when it was probably once I got the structure, the whole thing kind of came together. But until that point, what I did was I tended to write in small sort of almost like little montage, not not little snippets that became a montage. And I I wasn't really sure how to structure it to begin with. And bizarrely, it's quite, to me, it's quite a simple structure overall in that it's the the 16 days and then on the 17th day I have the transplant. But getting that was really quite difficult and it seems as if it shouldn't be. But because I wanted it to be more than just 
you know, 70 days in hospital, 16 days in hospital is not exactly the most interesting of times, you know. A lot of the time I didn't do very much. I was sitting there, you know, there wasn't a lot going on. And yeah, waiting, just waiting, basically. So, um, but I needed something to hang that structure off, to hang that story off, you know. And so I, I, when I got the whole, I suddenly one day thought, of course, I'll just write each day from the day that I'm actually listed to the day I have the transplant and then I'll work it backwards and forwards from there. Um, when I actually got that, it changed the whole, just the way it came together. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does sound really strange because when I look at it now, it seems like such a simple structure, but it, it took me such a long time to get there. So... Um, Am I right in thinking that you were originally going to write it as uh, fiction? I was, yeah. So originally I had worked with Karen Campbell, who was mentoring me at the time. And her advice, and I, it was it, because I'd written fiction before, and also because it, um, she was helping me with the story and the way it was developing, she had said to me, write it as, her advice at that time was to write it as fiction. Right. And I started to... And there's a lot to be said about writing it for fiction in that it gives you a distance and it creates a kind of buffer around you from emotion and from feeling. But that in itself kind of, for me, lacked a kind of honesty or veracity that after a while I just couldn't, it didn't seem right to write it as if it happened to somebody else when clearly it it was my story and I just felt too personal and I couldn't, I couldn't keep, I think in fiction it's okay to draw on what you know but when it starts to become your story just dressed up with somebody else's names and things, it no longer, and adding things in just to maybe make it a bit more dramatic. I mean, transplants are dramatic enough without you having to think about everything else that goes with it. So, yeah, I think that over time I came to that conclusion. Um, and when I did, I was much more comfortable with the kind of truthfulness of it. So, um, which, yeah, which in some ways opened up a lot of things and in some ways made it much more difficult to write. So. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I often think, you know, there's that saying, uh, truth is stranger than fiction. But mm. with, with this, I, I guess you wouldn't want to tell the story and have people go, well, that would never happen. Whereas if you tell it in a memory, well, do you know what? It did happen because I was there. <laughs> um, so the, the, the letters and the input of other people, because the input, that's maybe not the right words, but the kind of uh, roles that other people play while you're going through this journey of hugely importance it's you know right to the center of it um how did you for instance Paul when you were asked to provide a letter how did you feel about that and how did other people feel about it oh I, I think some people felt different things about it I, I was quite apprehensive because as you can imagine the the emotions that I had gone through on that journey were, were quite extreme as well. You know, you, you meet someone, you fall in love, you find out they don't have long to live, and then you find out actually they've got less than that. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a difficult thing to write. I was probably the last person to write to yeah. write a piece to go in the book, or certainly one of the last. We know we have a few friends and family members who, who chose not to. Uh-huh. That's something just because it was too raw for them and too difficult uh, other people were very happy to uh, so I, I think i think people were, were delighted to be able to have a say and, and to sit and focus and, and put that into words and for some people they spent days on it just yeah. crafting exactly what they were going to say in this little paragraph um angela how, i mean how did you kind of come up with the idea that you wanted other people's input in that way 
I think I've had in preparation when I decided it was going to be a memoir, I read several memoirs, not all medical, lots of different ones um, over time. And but one of the things that struck me about the medical ones was that often they would talk about the person who was ill or was having to overcome the adversity. And a lot of the time I'd be thinking, but what did their mum think about yeah. that? Or what did their, you know, what did their best friend think or their partner? Or and I and I've always wanted, to, I I've often wanted to ask the person that if they're still alive. I mean, a lot of them, the people aren't. But um, and that was something that sort of triggered that idea that it would be interesting just in snippets without really ever explaining why they were there. I didn't want it to be something I had to over explain. But I wanted it to be just snippets of an insight into the person so that people would get a feel for how they are in their own words, but also how that kind of big event impacts somebody um, because it's a because it does have an impact. I mean, one of the things I remember thinking after I'd written it was exactly the kind of phrase, the phrase that was going through my head was we don't wait alone and we don't wait alone. There's there's so many other people and it's a kind of ripple effect, isn't it? So, and I, and I was hope, so I wanted people to, I wanted to get some insight into that. Um, and the letters were very broad. In fact, to be honest, I didn't ask people to write letters. That's how they chose to do it. And everybody chose to do it that way, which was quite interesting. All I asked really was that they tell me, could give me a little bit of insight of how they felt. And most of them addressed it to me as if it were a letter, which was quite a, so, it, it was interesting how it all sort of came together and they thought that um, that's how they would do it. But also what I wanted to do initially when I wrote the book, I didn't name anybody but Paul. Right. None of the other characters were named. Everybody was was in relation to me. So my best friend or my sister or whatever, you know, their relationship to me. And it was my editor who actually said to me, you've got to tell us their names, Angela. You can't just like mm. not have their names in the book. But what I had wanted to do was the people that were in the book are the ones that wrote the letters. So I wanted the reader to kind of work a bit and think, okay, so this person from what they've written is obviously this person in the book. But what I realized is that you can't make your readers, you can't make it difficult for them. You, there has to be a flow to it. And he was dead right, as he was with a lot of things actually, but he was particularly right about that in that I can see it now that the names are in that it makes more sense. You know, it's got an easier flow to it just in a kind of musicality of language, it just yeah. sounds better than my best friend or my friend from university or whatever, you know? So, um, but it's so basically the ones that I chose to ask to input were people who had visited me pre-transplant in hospital. Um, so otherwise it would have got too unwieldy and I didn't want some people to feel left out or whatever. So I'm, it was about the ones that actually saw me during that time and how that felt to them other than a couple of people well, my brother actually was the only one that hadn't seen me, but he was in Australia at the time. So, I mean, they're incredible little, um, as you say, they're quite short, uh, maybe mm -hmm. a couple of pages. But within them, there's a real kind of mixture of you've got hope and support, but you can also have the fear and the, the sadness for a lot of them that are there. Mm -hmm. and they really kind of, not going to pull you up short, but that's what I mean about the structure you know, you're, you think, okay, here's day one, here's day two, but then, you know, you have like some childhood memory or you have memories of um, your father and things like that. And it just, uh, it's, it, re it really works in the, in the way that it brings other people in. I was kind of thinking of almost like a play where you ask another character yeah. to come in and say, yeah. well, what, are you, what do you think about what this is going on? And it means that perspective is really important. Um, were you surprised, Angela, about maybe how other people recall that time or their thoughts on that time 
Yeah, I, I think I was when you're in it, when you're in something, I, everything's focused on just being able to cope with the fact that you have to get through the next hour or the next day or the next whatever. And I was aware that everybody else was around me, was also having to go through it. My father had had a heart transplant, so I completely know what it's like to wait. You know, I understand what that's like. His circumstances were very different to mine, but, but it was still a similar experience, you know. And But I was... I was I, do you know what, that's what struck me was the kind of sense of support and positivity. And also the other theme that came out of them was that I realized there was, I think in a few of them they talked about, it was almost like a sense of calm that as soon as they knew I was getting the transplant on the day that I was getting it, everything else was okay. And yet at that point, it's one of the most precarious points, you know? I mean, they're literally about to cut out my heart. And if the other one doesn't work, they've nowhere to go from there, you know? So, um, and I, but at that point, I think, I remember the same with my dad, you know, my dad had waited on the routine list. So he wasn't in hospital for several years. Well, not, no, he'd been ill for several years. He waited for about four months for his transplant. And during that time, you know, you try to forget about it, but it was always there. But on the day that they took him in, I remember thinking, oh, okay, then, well, he's in now. It's completely yeah. out of our hands now, you know. Um, and, and that was the sense that I got from the people that had written um, that, that that they had been sad or um, upset or, you know, agitated or whatever. But at the point where they said, where Paul phoned them or got in touch with them and said, she's going into surgery now, then everybody seemed to calm a little bit, you know, it's kind of, they didn't doubt that it was going to be okay, which I think is incredible. And as it, it worked out okay in the end. But, wow. But yeah. that, that sense of, I mean, it's almost like a thriller at points because, you know, <laughs> is the person going to get in or will there be, you know, will your results be too high or, you know, all sorts yeah. of things. Yeah. Um, and that sense of waiting, uh, I guess, is is kind of the, the, the worst part. Um, and Paul, you're kind of there, const not constantly, but most of the time. But I mean, how, when you were, you know, having to go back to the hotel or take time away, um, were they almost the worst bits for you when you were not being able to be there? Oh, yes, actually, in some ways, because but when I was there in the, in the hospital ward with Angela, you know, she was the one facing this terrible situation. I know we both were, and other people were too, but, but I, I was almost like I had to perform in a way, you know. I had to be the one that was positive and saying, okay, next step is we'll get these levels down in your lungs and then they can give you another medication and then, you know, we'll just wait to see what happens with that. So I couldn't really be worried at those points, but then I had to go away from there and go and sit in a hotel for the next... 12 hours, you know, with, with my guitar. Luckily, I brought him with me. And uh, and that was that was more difficult because I was on my own for most of the time. Yeah. And it's the same with uh, a lot of the medical, um, the doctors and nurses that, you know, are in, in the book. You, you get, almost give them roles. In fact, you even give your drip, the name drip. Because <laughs> yeah. it is your kind of constant companion. At that yeah. time. Um, when you were looking back on them, were they characteristics that stuck in your head or like roles that you almost gave people? Was it as simple as that or not quite? Um, it probably, 
I mean, the, there were certain characters who were definite characters. So I talk about the different types of nurses and they and there are definitely, for me, were different types of nurses and they were very good at what they did. So some of them were the ones that would sit with you and stroke your hair and tell you it was going to be all right. There would be others that were just a bit clown-like deliberately, you know, they would make you laugh, they'd do silly things. Um, so they were, they were all, the, they all had different roles to them in that respect. And I think that there were a couple, there was one, um, um, I can't remember what he was, a registrar, that's what he was, and he was hilarious. So whenever he was on rounds, there was always something going on that was going to be hilarious when he came around. Some of the others were more ser serious. The surgeons always appeared not really to be in the room when they were in the room. They were kind of already somewhere else before they'd even started talking to you. In fact, you could, my surgeon, sometimes you would speak to him and I could see him switch off. Do you know, which is like, I could actually see him stop listening once he'd like given me the medical information. So yeah, there were, there were diff definite kind of types of people who were all extremely necessary, you know? So, yeah. um, I mean, it was an incredible, it, it felt like a little like, so I had ri I've written a sort of offshoot story about it, about the actual transplant itself. Um, and it, that kind of felt like, it does feel a bit like a performance, like you said about uh, early. That's kind of how it felt. So everybody has a role, and they have, you know, they have this performance that ends in a theatre, and you just, and it's, and that's exactly. How it was all kind of building up to that, and they all know it, but they all work so incredibly well together. I mean, I've been into hospital a lot of times, but this was the first time I'd noticed how well a team works together. I mean, we both con commented on that, mm, didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there were. And everybody, I mean, from the, the consultants, the nurses and the cleaners and auxiliaries that would come yeah. around. I mean, some of them pulled you out of some of the darkest moments yeah, that you were did. in. You know? yeah. Really, really essential. Yeah. And there is, uh, you know, people might not expect it, but there is humour and light moments and, uh, you know, along the way, they're kind of, uh, as there is <laughs> in life. You know, I didn't we're, really almost embarrassed. we're almost yeah. embarrassed to admit that we laughed a lot during that time. Yeah, you know, and we did, and and I guess people do if they're in quite a difficult situation. You do find humour, gallows humour, whatever you call it. But mm. uh, we did, we laughed a lot, we cried a lot too. You know, yeah. but I think that's what you get reading the book. You laugh a lot and you do cry a lot. There is a you know that kind of balance. Mm. Um, so it's it seems to me from reading it that you love to write Angela. I mean, that comes across the pain. I think it's really beautifully written. You're, you're um, you know, the, the, every, you know, you've obviously thought how, not just how the book is structured, but I think you've really considered the way that you want to um, tell your story. Uh, is that, and I know you, you both write. Is it something that you ever thought you would do, would do it to write memoir or is it purely from this situation? It's purely from this situation. I, I always thought I would write fiction. I've always written fiction. I've written fiction since I was a kid. I've never written about myself. And um, and I, it's kind of the description of this book for me is the book that I wrote because I had to, not because I wanted to yeah. at the time. It felt it felt like a compulsion. It, it was never intended to be my first book. And um, and I already had what I thought was my first book, which is fiction. And then this one, this all happened to me. and um, And I felt like, I couldn't not write it. It it's it feels more not just about getting the story out there for for me because it is it is something that was important for me, but it, it felt important because of the situation and because of the idea of transplant. And and I realised even though my dad had had a transplant, 
when it came down to it, I still didn't know an awful lot about it. You know, there's a lot that goes on around it. There's a lot that happens after it. There's, and even though I probably know more than a lot of people because of my dad, I think it's something we don't know an awful lot about. You know, I mean, we kind of know that somebody's heart gets taken out and gets replaced by somebody else's. And that's the mo- the kind of what most people know about it, you know. And, and I remember being quite shocked about the fact that my dad had his transplant my mum talked about his medication afterwards and I was saying but he's got a new heart why does he need medication now you know I don't understand why and she said because you know because of rejection and so for the rest of his life he has to be on this and I it blew my mind I didn't I just couldn't get my head around the fact that why couldn't they just take out put a new one in and done it's a done deal you know my dad's better and so I did know a bit of that um and I think in some ways that made my experience more difficult because that they did say that um, they said that sometimes they thought that perhaps some of the information I was or wasn't given they had based too much on the fact that my dad had had a transplant so they they assumed more knowledge than I had or they talked in different and a different tone or but you definitely did talk about responsibility to to write this yeah yeah I did feel like there was some kind of responsibility to raise awareness and to share the story. And I think it's very healing to share stories. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it's an incredibly healing process, not just for me, but for other people. I think it's really important. I guess what I was thinking of was, as I say, I, you can tell that you love writing. Mm-hmm. But this is maybe a story that you didn't necessarily want to tell for kind of obvious reasons. And yeah. was, was there a kind of pull against that? You think, well, there's the joy of writing a, 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 a well, you know, turned sentence or phrase or any of that kind of thing. But this, as you say, this was a story that you had to tell rather than wanted to. Did you feel that maybe pulled in different directions or did actually your love of writing help you? I think it helped. Yeah, I don't think, I think once I had made the decision to, write the story I think it definitely helped and because of the I suppose because of the responsibility I felt like it had to be the best story that I think way of telling it that I thought that I could which is why I struggled for so long with um the structure and that kind of thing because it, it had to make sense to me and it had to I guess make sense I thought make sense to other people so so the writing of it didn't but again it was the structure of it that was the mm. biggest I feel like just from an observer, an observer's point of view, and watching you craft the story, that that because you know that is an area that you're comfortable at is crafting words, and so you could take this really painful story but put it on a page and start taking control of it. Then, then that was a really good thing for you to be able to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could see that. That you 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 you're literally putting it into your own words that you maybe at the time. I couldn't do that. How was it for you yeah. to read, Paul? Uh, you know, I haven't read it all the way through since, you know, obviously I read early drafts okay. and things, in fact, full drafts, all that proofreading stuff that you do. Uh, but, yeah, since we've cut it back from the printers, I've opened it and I've looked at it and I found myself, you know, drawn into it going, because the writing is so good, you know. Yeah. And I'll, I'll read a, a sentence and then I'll, next thing I know I'm a few pages in. Uh, but then sometimes it will hit something that will just put me back in that space and I've got to close the book and, and step away from it because I, I guess I guess it's still there, that yeah. you know, that, that feeling, the feeling of, of, of the before when we were sitting waiting and not knowing if we had a future together or not. And so stepping back into that place isn't an easy 
thing for me to do. Sure, I can imagine. Yeah. But in actual fact, some of the most emotional things I've read in the book are, are the letters from other people that, that I read. Uh, yeah, there was one or two of those that absolutely set me off. <laughs> so. well, no, I can imagine because the rest of the book, as you say, Angela, you're in control of what you write and how you write. And some of it's it's incredibly honest and, um, and uh, detailed, you know, about what's happening to you. I guess you're not in control of what other people write. And when that comes in, it is like, okay, this is a different voice, mm. and, you know, which I found was um, uh, fascinating. Um, so uh, you mentioned earlier on that a lot of people have uh, said it's a love story. And I, I think it's a book, it's busting with love. It absolutely is. You know, um, a folk who caring, um, worried, and your relationship as well. Was that tough to write about that aspect of it because it seemed to me that perhaps writing about um the bad times in some ways might be slight kind of easier than the you know the good good times isn't what I mean but you know what I mean the emo more emotional side of things yeah definitely I would say absolutely it was harder for me to write about our relationship in any great sort of detail than it was about the story as a whole and I, I did realise that it was a very important part of the story. And so, and I also realised that, like I said to you before, because of my own curiosity when I'm reading stories, I, I, I was aware that people would want to know certain things that I wasn't necessarily comfortable sharing. Um, but I realised that without certain things, it wouldn't be as honest. And so that's when I kind of drew on a different way of saying things. So I maybe tried to use less words to give an, a sense of something rather than having to implicitly say something. Um, because there were, obviously, our relationship's very personal, but yeah. when you choose to write, that's one of the things, that's the trade-off, isn't it? You, if it's going to have any sort of honesty and truthfulness, then you have to give some of that up. You But yeah. you have to know how much to give up. And I found that balance quite tricky at times. And... I think that, yeah, I, that was a kind of less is more thing. And that I'd learned from other writers when I'd read, you know, I'd read different books and thought um, this is, you know, there's certain things that don't give any great detail, but give enough detail for people to understand what you're saying without you having to spell it out for them, basically. So, yeah, that was kind of hard. And just the emotion we went through a whole roller coaster, as you can imagine, of emotions. And, and some of it, like Paul said, was quite difficult to write in the sense that some of it you want to let go of, but equally in the letting go of it, the writing of you helps that writing of it helps you do that, but you but you still have to go through the writing of it in order to be able to let it go. And that was, yeah, it was quite a difficult part. Mm. So I don't know what it was like for you writing, reading about it. So. Yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty much the same. I mean, it, it was really odd when we were both, you know, sitting proofreading text and stuff, you know, or you would say to me, what about the, do you think the sentence works, you know, and we're analysing it just like we did in our in our creative writing class, you know, where we're looking at this thing, and but you're looking at it just as a work in progress rather than as something that you've actually lived through. It's quite mm. odd. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier on uh, that your, your, your editor encouraged you to... Um, you know, actually use real names and things. Similarly, were there back and forths about, well, we need to know a little bit more about that or, you know, any, anything in, of that kind? Yeah. So um, the other thing, um, 
Ian Maloney was my editor. He's a Scottish writer as well. And so you, I don't know if you know him, but You've yeah, he... have had him on podcast a couple of times. Oh, have you? <laughs> In fact, He's, he was I, the last person I spoke to live because he was over to do I Write. Right, oh, yes, yeah. yeah. He came round yeah. the flat and then the pandemic kicked off and that was it. So yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, find, I, I find yeah, I think he's I think as an editor, he's very intuitive. And I I completely trusted what he said, primarily because everything that he said to me, I would you know, sometimes well, I remember when we were doing our creative writing and they had said to us, you know, there will be battles that you have to choose to fight with your editor. And some of them you'll let go and some of them you'll stick with. And 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 so I was kind of prepared when I was working with Ian to have to kind of like argue about stuff and every time he suggested something I was thinking all right enough yeah and so he said things like you we you know you mentioned your dad we need to know a little bit more because it's quite a big deal that he's already had a transplant and I had only mentioned it once and he said it doesn't have to be big but I need you to mention it another couple of times just bring it into the story a couple of times you know so which I did the other thing he'd said to me he said your brother has been diagnosed with the same condition you need to you need to sort of say a little bit about that. Now, my brother deals with it very differently. He's a very private person. He doesn't want to talk about it. And that's completely fine. Mm -hmm. And so I'd said that to Ian and Ian said, I don't want you to give me details. You don't have to tell me any of that, but just kind of weave it in a little bit so that it, to make that apparent, you know, without it being, and so I did. And these things and the name thing, they were the, those were the ones in particular that I remember. And he was right about that. And the other thing, it was things that he said to me, he said, Angela, you need to say right up front which band your husband used to pay for. Because unless it's you too, you can't leave it till the end to reveal it. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, it was never going to be you two anyway, but no. no. <laughs> but um, so little things like that. And I have to say, I don't recall any point where I disagreed with him. And he was very, it was a very gentle edit. It wasn't, we didn't change a lot of things, but what he did, everything he did added to the way it was done. It made the story a better story. It was, I mean, for a first time book with a first time yeah. editor, it was a dream. He was a dream to work with. It was just kind of, um, he was just very good at what he does, you know? Yeah, so. no, absolutely. I think that's often the role of the editor is to read the book afresh and have the questions that a reader would have, which sometimes yeah. the writer assumes the knowledge, not assumes knowledge, but just thinks, well, yeah, I know, I know that. I, I, you know why? I didn't even think that other people might even be interested in it, I think, sometimes. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, another aspect I found which was interesting is that it's a real page-turner, which is unusual when you know the ending. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, it's... Uh, um, a, there's, a, there's a pace to it, which I find really interesting because, as you say, a lot of it is, you know, anyone that spent any time in hospital, it is a lot of kind of waiting around and, and things, but it's also a very surreal time. Um, you know, I think at one point you kind of allude to uh, the kind of looking upon nurse as a kind of other otherly creature, and I've had that when I've spent a little bit of time in hospital, you kind of, um, you, well, you're on drugs for a start. So, well, yes. <laughs> you know, so things, I, I was kind of remembering that time. Was it difficult or did it come quite naturally? Do you mean overall? The time? Yeah, overall time in hospital. Yeah, um, Memory something we've spoken about a lot to do with the right now. Yeah, yeah. I have... Um, I have bizarrely one of those memories that remembers details anyway. I just have one of those memories. Um, so I tend to remember unusual details. The, things like I remembered 
the anaesthetist shiny shoes when he put my pick line in. Um, and there was like little things that I remember quite specifically and which I suppose as a writer, you get trained to yeah. like pay attention to. I had made some notes. A lot of them didn't make any sense. And most of those were just for me. I hadn't, wasn't sure what I would do with them at the time, but I realized that there were some things I should write down. But my writing was so appalling at the time because I was shaking so much that a lot of it I couldn't even read. Um, but I also, the other thing was I went back, when you, in your first year, you have to go back on a regular basis to clinic for biopsies and all that kind of thing. And of course, you talk to different people constantly. And that's really good for triggering memories in that right. you're telling your story all the time to all the people because everybody says to you when you go into clinic, oh, when did you get yours done? You know, how long? And, and it becomes, you trade stories. That's what you do. And I suppose that kind of then imprints the story in your head. So I usually remember things by talking about them. And I think that because I had the chance over that first year to talk to lots of people about them because everybody wanted to know that after a while it becomes quite obvious. And also I was seeing the same people and I was going back to the same hospital, even though it wasn't the same wards, I was getting the same smells and the same sounds. And so all of these things were kind of reinforced over the first year, which mm -hmm. actually made the telling of it. It wasn't just that I'd gone into hospital, I'd gone home and I'd never gone back in again. Mm -hmm. So I suspect from that point, it's probably a, a wee bit easier than if maybe somebody had had a traumatic thing and then they hadn't been going backwards and forwards constantly afterwards, you know? So, yeah. yeah. yeah so you take on board things that um, kind of, because a lot that's, there's lots of lovely detail in there, like the, the food, for instance, and now perhaps <laughs> yes. the best. I know there's the bit with cows that are through the window and they're stuck in the flooded parts and things like that. I just yeah. think, how are you, you know, I, you would think the mind would be just preoccupied with what's going to happen, but actually mm -hmm. that's maybe a defence mechanism that you do notice all the little things that take your mind off it. I think you're right, actually. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about it until you said, but I think it's a distraction which is why my mind probably remembers details like that, in that I remember watching the cows, probably because I had nothing else to do. Do you know? Yeah. I remember watching the cows mm -hmm. and they got they could get stranded if the water it would come in around them because the Clyde's quite strange like that and it would come in around them and some of them would get stranded. And I remember being very concerned about them, forgetting that they can swim. Mm -hmm. And in actual fact, they'd obviously been there before, otherwise they wouldn't be there again, you know? So... Um, so this, it, it's kind of, yeah. This was also at the same point. The fluid in your lungs was, the yes. pressure was too high and you were actually drowning in your chair. Yeah. So yeah. It was, there was, it was a lot of water. Connected. Yeah, <laughs> there was. Um, I hope this isn't a, a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, do you, to both of you actually, do you feel changed by the experience? I guess what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes you go through something traumatic and you think, right, I'm going to change this and I'm going to be a completely different person. And often it doesn't happen. But how do you feel after not just um, the operation, but writing the book as well? Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I definitely do. I think we were changed. Um, we've talked about this a bit in the sense that I've always been a fairly optimistic kind of like, glass half full kind of person and and I have been most of my life despite you know having problems throughout my life with depression I mostly I'm a really optimistic person um but what I think it does it did for me is that it made me much more appreciative of it's very cliched and I don't mean it there was no brilliant light and I got no, no there was no Damascian conversion or anything but I do even both of us now you know we don't bother about 
the smaller things anymore, you know? And it, and I know a lot of people say that and it's not even conscious, but you don't, you stop. Mm. We you still worry about the same things, but not to the same degree because it's sudden, it feels like, well, you know, you've been through all of this. Little things don't seem to make, bother you anymore. And the writing I found probably not at the time, but looking back on it now, and especially now that it's out there, I found I found now it's finished and printed, it's much more I feel quite as if it was quite a cathartic process. Yeah. At the time it was quite emotional, um, but now it feels quite calm. But I do think I needed to get it printed and there in a book. Yeah. Despite what happened to it afterwards, it had to be there so that I knew that it was down. And so somehow that could be it. It's kind of like, it's not that I'll never talk of it again or anything. And possibly I'll still write not about that particular part of it, but, you know, the experience in general, but more that it was just good to let it all go in the end. And, yeah. and yeah, it, it is quite a cathartic process, I think. So yeah. what about you? Oh, yeah, definitely definitely changed i mean for for one thing uh you know we had to say our goodbyes and then and then we didn't so then we could plan a future and you know it's a it's a clean slate it's like this is from from the day we got out of that hospital that was a day that we were never going to have you know and the next day and the next day and so it changes your perspective on things and you're not thinking you know work becomes less important it's in, it's in its place. You still work, but you know it's not like the be all and end all. And and the idea of you know downsizing or working less and all that just to have more time to do the things that really matter. And by that I don't mean going out and changing the world, although that would be great. <laughs> but you know going for a walk and and <laughs> going for a cycle, you know looking at the trees, whatever, all that sort of stuff. Being with yeah. friends, just ordinary things. And I think it's uh, I think that was the gift that we got was the gift of just ordinary days and ordinary things, ordinary events mm. that were taken away from us or, or we thought were going to be. The thing, well, I mean, when we first got together, I could barely walk anyway. My breathing was really bad and it got progressively worse to the point where I wouldn't have been able to walk the length of our living room. And it, and and we had never been able to just go out for a walk. And all the time we had been together, we just didn't have that as an option. We Sometimes I could walk a little bit further than others, but we couldn't go out for a walk. It was just beyond. So the first time that we actually, I mean, it was this, it's a long recovery, but as I got progressively better, the delight of just being able to say, shall we go out for a walk and like, or shall we go to the shop and me not have to be thinking, okay, which shop are we going to? Is it any, is there any hill? Do I have to go up any steps? How far, how close can we get to the door? You know, all of those things were no longer there. We could just go out and do things. That was incredible, wasn't it? I mean, we never, we didn't know whether we would ever be able to do that. And as it, as it looked when we first got together, we didn't think we ever would, you know? And so it's the gift of, like Paul said, of just, the stuff that people just do all the time, you know, of just... What people take for granted. Well, we, yeah, yeah. Two yeah. years after your transplant, I think, that we danced for the first time. Like, properly danced, But we'd yeah. never danced. Yeah. No, I, I danced at our wedding. At our wedding? Yeah, the, it's the, that was the year after Paul. Oh, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> 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 oh, time yeah, goes so quick. Oh, you forget it all. <laughs> I, it's... So it seems to me about um, with your love of writing that you're not going to stop writing. I'm presuming that, you know, you said you've been writing since you were small. So are you thinking about what you might write next or is it too early for that with this book just coming out? No, I think, I mean, I think um, 
I think because where I ended that book was at the, uh, without giving any spoilers, I mean, it was basically about up the time up to the transplant, you know? And so I think there's an element of in the two years and since that it took for me to recover, there was a, a lot of a kind of feeling of my life being in transition, but at the same time, other people that I know their life being in transition because of our age and because of just the stage that people are at li in life and stuff. And I think that I probably will write the follow-up not entire, not a follow-up, but, you know, the kind of extension of that just because it feels incomplete without it. Um, and then I think going on further, because now I get to plan for a future that I never thought I would have, but okay. um, further from that, I think I'll revert to um, fiction. I think I have one more non-creative non-fiction. In fact, maybe a fiction, non-fiction crossover. I'm quite fascinated by that whole, you know, weaving in elements that yeah. perhaps just make it a little bit more something um, and then to, to sort of transition into fiction. So I think that that, I'm, I'm sort of working on something along those lines at the moment. Um, but as with the other one, it's kind of all over the place at the moment. I'm hoping for that moment when it all falls into place again. And yeah, so we'll see. Just listen to you uh, talk about that and about the idea of changes uh, and the future. It does seem that the book itself, it, the, the the kind of fear or anxiety that's in it is not so much for what's about to happen to you right there and now, but about the possibilities that might be taken away from the future, I guess. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, that's why it's so lovely to be able to chat to you both and uh, <laughs> prove that it's, <laughs> it's worked. Um, listen, thanks very much for talking to me today. I really appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's it lovely to meet you. And thanks. you. And uh, we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Yeah.